People are looking for good news after a year like 2020. I don't need to remind you, but we have a COVID-19 pandemic. But we've also had race riots. And in case you didn't know, we've had a presidential election. And there's just been a lot of contention, a lot of heartache, a lot of health concerns. And our new sermon series is just what we need. It's entitled Good News in Roman Style. We're going to be doing a study in the gospel according to Mark. I'm not going to give you a formal introduction into Mark. It would uh, take up too much time for this morning. But if you would like a brief introduction with references for further study, I have them posted on our church website, which also will direct you to my blog where the audio recording is, or if you'd rather read it, you can read it as well. The Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, wrote with different styles and perspectives. Mark, we're pretty sure, wrote his Gospel from Rome itself. And that shows in how he writes, because his style of writing really does reflect a style that the people of Rome would appreciate, which is why I'm titling this series Good News in Roman Style. So for our title today, it is Preparing Hearts for Jesus. And we're going to look at Mark's bold introduction of Jesus Christ. It's encouraging, it's refreshing, and it's just right for us today. Let's pray as we dig in. God, please fix our hearts on the good news, the best good news there ever is, there ever was, there ever will be. Pry our fingers off of all these other news matters that we're clutching onto and that are filling our hearts and fix us on the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Number one, what is good news? You've probably had this happen to you even this year, but have you ever had somebody come to you and say, tell me something good? Perhaps they've had a bad week and they just need to hear some good things. But I want to ask you, what do you consider as good news? What do you consider as good news? Now, I know we're in church and we're talking about the good news of Jesus Christ, but I want to be a little bit, I want to be more reflective than just the automatic answer that you might have. What do you consider as good news? More on your paycheck? Um, maybe someone's coming to visit you or you're getting to go visit somebody else. Maybe vacation. 
maybe a TV show, maybe there's a news headline. There are many things that we can consider good news. And so now I'll move to what you would expect. There is nothing good apart from God himself. And so as we consider what we think is of good news, we need to trace the goodness of everything that is truly good back to God. And this is how Mark starts his book. He puts us onto this right away. He starts right away with an assertion. Bam. He says that Mark chapter 1, verse 1 says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Matthew starts with a genealogy. Luke gives us a prolonged introduction to the background of Jesus' birth, including a genealogy. John starts with some fancy theological language. It's good stuff, but it's, it's definitely strong theological language. Mark just jumps right into it. By the time you reach verse 14 here in chapter 1, you are already reading about Jesus' earthly ministry as an adult. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The beginning. The beginning of his book. Gospel. It's a technical term to you and I today, but it was also a technical term to the people of Rome. Glad tidings, good news in their case of whether it was a, the emperor was coming to town or there were things happening in the Roman Empire, there was a technical term that was used for glad tidings. And that is the term that Mark uses here, but he is co-opting it and pointing to the glad tidings of good news about Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ, the anointed one of the Old Testament, Son of God, divine Second person of the Trinity. We had a small Thanksgiving gathering, much smaller than normal for us. There were a few family members there. And one of them was talking to me about the different news outlets that he used to listen to but have changed because of the things that have gone on in the election this year. People have their favorite news outlets. They have their preferred outlooks, and they appreciate how certain news outlets can give them the news and report on the news in a perspective they think is accurate. They lock on, they tune in, they faithfully listen day by day and sometimes hour by hour. Sometimes they get the, the updates, the alerts on their smartphone Whenever the news outlet sends out something new, it shows up on their phone screen. I want to apply the same principle to the good news of Jesus Christ. Are you locking on to the good news of Jesus Christ, the glad tidings about his first coming and about his future second coming, about what he has done for you, about what he can do for others? Are you faithfully considering these glad tidings? Are you tuning in? Are you enjoying the goodness 
of the good news about Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. Dwell upon it. Think upon it. Number one, what is the good news? Mark makes it a short, bold assertion, just puts it right out there where the other gospel writers lead up to it slowly. Number two, Mark moves quickly on to the forerunner of good news. The forerunner of good news. All of us have seen the cartoons. Trumpets, shouts, great displays of grandeur. And it all comes before this great person shows up. There's this long procession. It grabs everybody's attention. They gather around the sounds and the displays of grandeur people, the crowd gathers, their attention is arrested, and then finally the person of significance shows up. This was a common feature in Roman culture as well. They were used to the announcement that the emperor was coming, the important senator was coming. Someone would come ahead, they would announce the news, prepare the way, and then by the time the important person showed up. Everybody was paying attention and showing their proper respects. Where I went to college, we had chapel four days a week, Monday through Thursday. There would always be announcements at the beginning. One day they announced that the president would be coming to town. This was a long time ago. And there were forerunners, there were people going ahead of the president and getting things ready. And there was going to be a special meal that this, that this president was going to be at. And they were giving us opportunities to serve at that meal. So that way there would be proper provisions made when the president was there. And this is what we read about here in Mark chapter 1. There is a forerunner before Jesus Christ who goes ahead. He broadcasts the news, gathers the crowds, and then turns their attention to Jesus. Mark chapter 1, verse 2. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Mark quotes two Old Testament prophets. In these Old Testament scriptures, we don't often put our eyeballs on, so I'd like you to put your eyeballs on them. Turn to Malachi. Malachi. Chapter 3. If you get to Matthew, just go a few more pages before Matthew and you're in Malachi. Unless you have a study Bible, then there might be a few articles before, in between Malachi and Matthew. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Now, turn to Isaiah chapter 40. 
Isaiah chapter 40 is a more famous Old Testament chapter. If you haven't read it recently, I suggest that you spend this afternoon and read through it. It's just a blessing. Read the whole chapter. Don't just skip down to verse 31. Isaiah chapter 40, voice, verse 3. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Unfortunately, I have to stop there. I wish I could just spend the whole chapter with you. Back over to Mark chapter 1. Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, adapted these two Old Testament verses and he customized it to Jesus himself. But here in verse 2, He makes God as the speaker, and God is saying something to Jesus. So we have a little conversation between God the Father and God the Son. And God the Father is saying to God the Son, I will send my messenger before you. And this messenger, in this case, is John. And this messenger will prepare the way for you and make your paths straight. John will prepare your way. So again, let's look at verses 2 and 3 of Mark chapter 1, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. And then, verse 4, Then John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Luke gives a huge amount of detail of where John came from. Mark just said, John appeared. Mark is very brief. I like him. He gets to the point and he makes his application. So just for us, as we apply these thoughts to us, you get the feeling that Jesus is special? That he's important? I know you know this mentally. These are, these are all, if you've been in church most of your life, these are old, worn-out passages. And... Perhaps even some of the songs that you sang your whole life, you sing them and you can just say the words, but they don't soak into your soul. But what is happening here is that this is a huge special event and it draws excitement. It draws crowds. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. So I ask you this morning to ask God to make this real and special and all your emotions, your physical being, and your, your mental, your thoughts, your will, all of you, that God would make this special and real to you. So number one, what is the good news? And number two, the forerunner of the good news. And then number three, the inconvenient part of the good news. Let's look at Mark chapter four verses Mark chapter one, verses four through six. John appeared 
baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Now we call him John the Baptist. Literally in the Greek text, it's John the Baptizer or John the one who is baptizing. John was a common name in that culture. It really is in our culture as well. And so baptizer or the one who was baptizing was like his last name that distinguished who he was among the other Johns in that time period. Now this brings up the matter of Christian baptism. John was baptizing in the wilderness. And this brings a picture in my mind of desert and no water. But it doesn't mean that there was no water where he was at. It was just wilderness. It was barren, but there were some points of water that John could have used. In this case, it was the Jordan River. Years ago, when I was driving out in the desert in California, I've mentioned this to you before, and occasionally you cross a bridge, and that bridge would go over a riverbed that was completely dry. And there would be a sign right before you cross the bridge, and you see it and say, watch out for flood waters. You're driving over a completely dry riverbed. Apparently, when they would get gully washes, there would be flash flooding. They would run down through those dry riverbreds. I've never been to Israel. Every pastor wants to go to Israel at some point, if not multiple points. But I try to visualize here what was going on. John was baptizing at the Jordan River. Jordan River doesn't mean anything to us. If Bremen were Jerusalem, it would be like John... The Baptist was at the St. Joe River in Mishawaka, about the same distance away. And you can imagine that you're watching the evening news and that there was a preacher holding services at the St. Joe River in Mishawaka, preaching, and there were baptisms. There was a big crowd. It seemed like almost everybody you knew was talking about it, and even some of the people you know were going to these services. It was a sensation. And that's what was happening there in Jerusalem and Judea. The whole region was going out. There were big crowds. There was a preacher at the river. We're talking about baptism, and John's baptism was different than the Christian baptism that we know of today. It's similar, though, in the fact that it was an immersive act all the words point here to the person that was baptized by John was immersed. It was also similar because it pointed outwardly to the repentance that happened inwardly. The baptism was an outward sign of what had happened inwardly. Now, John's baptism was different because it couldn't point back to what Jesus had done because Jesus had not arrived yet. He had not lived, died, and rose again yet. So during John's time, 
inviting Jewish people to be baptized themselves as an act of repentance was a sensation. It was not something that they had a good reference point in their culture for. But in the same way today, submitting to baptism, even though there is a big reference point, that of Jesus Christ himself, submitting to baptism is a big deal. Yes, you just get wet, but the symbolism is real. You identify with Jesus himself and that you are surrendering to him, that you have repented and you have followed him. There are some people who have never obeyed in this matter. They become a Christian, but they have now submitted to this act of obedience and baptism. If you're a Christian and you have not been baptized, I encourage you, submit to this and show to the world that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. There's also difficulty here when Mark chapter 1 verse 4 mentions baptism. And I just want to give you a brief summary of it because the grammar in Mark chapter 4, you may not be able to see it reflected in your English translations, but it's generic enough that some people can use this verse to teach that baptism is required for you to be saved. That's not what the rest of our New Testaments teach, and that's not what is happening here, but the grammar is just a little bit generic enough to where that can be taught by some people, and so you need to understand that that is a reality. However, it is not a correct interpretation. It's not a correct translation. What is happening here is that John was preaching. The content of his preaching was that you need to repent. And along with that, there came the subsequent action of baptism, water baptism, to show what had happened to them spiritually. So next, along with the inconvenient reality of baptism, you have repentance here, and that is... There's a little irony here. I should have put repentance first in my notes instead of baptism, but I put it after. So we deal with baptism and repentance, and the inconvenient reality of the good news is that we are called to repent. One of the most offensive things you can do to a person is tell them they are wrong. I see that happen Um, in our house among our children every week. But it happens among adults every week too. Whether it's a big spat or a minor spat. The good news is inconvenient because it has with it the truth that we are wrong and we need a Savior. And with that there's a confrontation. A call to repentance is confrontational. People don't like to be confronted, and they don't usually like to confront. But because there is evil in this world, there is wrongdoing in this world, and because there is a good God who is perfectly holy, there will always be confrontation and a call to repentance until Jesus returns and deals with evil. If you're not a Christian, you must be confronted with your own sin. 
and accept the good news. As a Christian, you may be tired of the conflict of this old world, but don't try to remove the confrontation of the good news. Take your stand with the confrontation of the good news. Don't wrongfully add to confrontation, but don't seek to try to remove it either. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you stand with a message that is confrontational. And that may not make you likable all the time to this world. Along with this, there is a distinctiveness. John lived a very distinctive lifestyle. Now, we're not called to live like John, but there's a great principle here. As John fulfilled his role as the forerunner of Jesus Christ, it took on a very distinctive lifestyle that did not enjoy this privilege that many of the people of that day enjoyed. The principle is this, is that Christians are different. And there are things as Christians that you do not partake of. And there are limitations that you bring upon yourself when you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Christians are to live distinctively. You'd say, well, pastor, you're getting legalistic. I haven't mentioned a single issue. But the message of distinctiveness is in our New Testaments. And it's a part of what it means to follow Jesus. And so instead of always looking for how you can get away with this or how you can enjoy this, consider first of all what it means to follow Jesus Christ and what I give up for him. The New Testament is clear. Following Jesus Christ is not a convenient lifestyle. If your lifestyle is based upon convenience, if your schedule is based upon your convenience, if your schedule is based upon your comfort and your pleasure, you are not fulfilling the spirit of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Number one, what is the good news? Number two, the forerunner of the good news. Number three, the inconvenient part of the good news. And then number four, the wonder of the good news. Look at Mark chapter 1, verse 7. And John preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. As we look at the wonder of the good news, there is the wonder of the incarnate Jesus, mighty and holy and praised by God the Father. Have you ever been nervous when you were around someone who was important or famous? You might say, well, I would never be nervous. I would just be myself. Okay, fine. My point is here is that 
there's an appropriate reverence that falls upon us when we are around important people and powerful people and Jesus being the most important and the most powerful. And so as we read here of who Jesus was and John exercises reverence, you know, this this phrase that he's not worthy worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of Jesus' sandals. That you know it's it's a common phrase for us as Christians, but it it communicates an uncommon reverence. Common phrase communicating an uncommon reverence. So, pray this morning that God would take even a phrase like that that you're very familiar with and that you would have the reverence and awe of Jesus that John had here. John refers to the fact that he did water baptism, but that Jesus would give them Holy Spirit baptism. Spirit baptism is a greatly abused doctrine. And this morning we're not going to go into the details of it. But when people were baptized by John, they they didn't receive the spirit baptism. Spirit baptism didn't come until the day of Pentecost. And since that point, on through today and continuing until Jesus returns, when someone gets saved, they are baptized by the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 6 talks about this, the first several verses. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about this. The moment you are saved, you are joined to the body of Christ. That is what happens with this spirit, Holy Spirit baptism. You are joined to the body of Christ at that moment. And there is a union that happens that Romans chapter 6 talks about. A union between you and Christ's death a union between you and Christ's resurrection that give you certain spiritual powers and realities that the rest of Romans chapter 6 talks about. So there is power and identity associated with Holy Spirit baptism. And so here, as a part of this announcement of good news, and the forerunner is saying, hey, someone who's coming, and he is going to give you power and identity in a way you've never known before. When I was a child, and I heard that Grandma and Grandpa Anderson were coming, my mom's parents, and they lived 14 hours away in New York State, I was so excited because I knew that special treats were coming, special experiences were coming, and of course they were special too. I enjoyed spending time with them. And I don't mean to make light of the good news of Jesus Christ with this comparison. What I do mean to communicate is there is the wonder of Jesus himself. And there is the thrill of what he has generously given to us. Number one, what is good news? Number two, forerunner of good news. Number three, 
the inconvenient part of the good news. Number four, the wonder of the good news. Today's title was Preparing Hearts for Jesus. That was John's ministry. As we read of John's ministry here, the same type of preparation is happening. It's happening for those who don't know Jesus. There's a pointing to Jesus that comes through John, even in the scriptures here. It applies to us today. But then there's also a cultivation for those who already have Jesus. A reminder of the good news, how good it is. A reminder of Jesus himself, how wonderful he is. And a reminder of the identity and power that we have in Jesus. But there's also that inconvenient part of the reminder of our sinfulness, the need for repentance, and to depend on him. So my friends, Mark has very quickly and succinctly presented Jesus to us this morning. And he's going to do that throughout the rest of his book, very to the point. This is not an academic exercise. It's not just facts. This is about Jesus himself. It's about your heart, about the hearts of the people around you. How are you responding to Jesus this morning? How are you responding to the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Spend a few minutes in prayer.